the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blind is producing. Well, we are less than two hours away from the president's first State of the Union address. Of course, he addressed a joint session of Congress last year, but this will be his first official State of the Union address, which is required by the Constitution. Not the way it's done now, but it is a constitutional requirement. Anyway, that's coming up at 6 o'clock p.m. our time. Today, we're going to talk with Sarah Marr. She's the author of Dreaming with God, A Bold Call to Step Out and Follow God's Lead. Uh, We're also going to talk with Sheriff, uh, Sheriff David Clark, Jr. He's the author author of Cops Under Fire, Moving Beyond the Hashtags of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America. And we'll talk with Joseph Infranco. He's the uh, Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, Both he and Sheriff Clark are speakers at the 2018 Freedom Rally, uh, sponsored by Oregon Liberty Alliance. That's coming up on Saturday, this coming, at noon. This year, it's at a different location, Holiday Inn Airport. uh, And the cost includes lunch. For more information, you can go to the website, OregonLibertyAlliance.com. Again, OregonLibertyAlliance.com. We'll tell you more about that alliance if you're not familiar. You can also call and say, yes, I'm coming, RSVP, so they make sure there's lunch for you. 503-257-0444. 503-257-0444. And again, we'll be talking with two of the four presenters at that uh, event later in the 5 o'clock hour today. So looking forward to that. Well, President Trump will use his first State of the Union address today to extend an olive branch across the aisle and signal his willingness to uh, make bipartisan deals on second-year agenda priorities like immigration and infrastructure, according to officials who leak just enough to whet our appetite without giving too much away. But what's less clear is whether the president will get uh, the buy-in from the Democrats. Now, uh, in addition to the boycott that's apparently taking place, there are others who, uh, other Democrats who have suggested they intend to try to embarrass the president while he's speaking by making some sort of gesture that makes it clear to not only the president, who probably wouldn't care, but others who are viewing the State of the Union address that they do not embrace the president's priorities as if there was some mistake that they had. But then there are also um, a number of people who will be offering a um, response to the president's speech. Uh, Maxine Waters on BET, she'll be offering a response. Bernie Sanders is uh, offering a response to the uh, the president's speech, uh, the president's speech, rather, uh, as will another member of the um, um, of the Democrat Party. I, I believe he's a candidate and my computer is not giving me the opportunity to call that up. But anyway, there's going to be a, another response. And we heard that uh, Hollywood is also uh, going to offer a response to the president's State of the Union uh, um, speech, which makes it more of a circus than it has become over the last uh, several uh, administrations, which is a, a sad, um, a sad turn of events. But nonetheless, that's uh, that's the case. Uh, back in 2011, you might recall, Michelle Bachman offered a Tea Party response after Paul Ryan delivered the official GOP version uh, following uh, President Barack Obama's State of the Union. So this certainly is not uh, new. Um, and uh, we're just seeing more and more people um, 
standing in line to be a part of that uh, that response to the president's speech, this time uh, at least four distinct individuals. As I mentioned, a Massachusetts Democrat, uh, Senator Joseph Kennedy III, he's going to offer the official response um, uh, tonight. And Virginia Delegate Elizabeth Guzman will provide the Spanish language version. Bernie Sanders, the Working Families Party, and Maxine Waters uh, will provide uh, rebuttals. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Moore, and other celebrities um, have even taped a Hollywood rendition, taped it before the speech was given. So apparently it's not a response at all. Despite the variety of responses, there don't seem to be many pundits who feel it signals any issues uh, with the uh, Democrat Party. So anyway, that's coming up tonight, 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, our time. Officials say that the president um, will tout the framework his administration released last week from an immigration deal that includes a path to citizenship for illegal immigrants brought to the United States as children in return for funding for his wall along the Mexican border. That has not been favorably received thus far, but we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, In the speech tonight, the president, like other presidents before him, is also expected to use the speech to tout the successes of the last year, getting uh, Neil Gorsuch confirmed on the Supreme Court bench, signing the GOP's tax reform bill among them. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders Huckabee said today, or rather on Monday, the speech's theme would be building a safe, strong, and proud America. She said it is must-see TV. She went on to say Look, we have an economy that's booming. ISIS is on the run. They actually are on the run. We're uh, remaking the judiciary in a way that actually believes in upholding the Constitution. Uh, There are some great things happening in the country, and the president will focus on them. A sign of the tension between the president and the Democrats, as I mentioned, multiple lawmakers are boycotting the speech with Texas Representative uh, Frederica Wilson uh, saying President uh, Trump doesn't deserve to be honored at this time. Of course, sitting through the speech is not an honor. It's a constitutional requirement. It's not an affirmation of whoever the elected president is. So it's a misunderstanding on her part of what the State of the Union address is all about. A number of other Democrats have announced plans to bring DACA recipients as their guests to the speech. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, will likely engage in a number of silent protests during the speech. Um, uh, For example, lawmakers in the caucus were encouraged to wear traditional uh, kente cloth to protest uh, the president's uh, alleged uh, comments on immigration from certain African and other countries. Um, Bernie Sanders said First Lady Melania um, uh, Trump uh, and all the president's children will be uh, president with the exception of 11-year-old Baron Trump. Actually, that's not uh, Bernie Sanders at Sarah Sanders. Let's get that right. Quite a difference between the two. It's customary for the president to travel to... um, promote the message after delivering the State of the Union. It's not clear whether or not that will be the case this time around. We do know the president has invited the the mother of a girl killed by MS-13 gang members. She's going to attend the State of the Union. Uh, Evelyn Rodriguez, whose daughter was killed by a notorious gang, who invited uh, was invited to attend the president's State of the Union address today, and that's become a practice since Ronald Reagan to fill the gallery with individuals that give a graphic of the message you're trying to emphasize. In September of 20. 16, her daughter Kayla uh, was killed by members of MS-13 in Brentwood, New York. Uh, MS-13, as you probably know, is a violent transnational gang. It was founded in Los Angeles by El Salvadoran refugees. Kayla, the um, daughter of Evelyn Rodriguez, was 16, and her friend, a 15-year-old, were beaten with a baseball bat, stabbed with a machete when they were accosted by 10 members of the gang. One of the members involved uh, with the murder was previously deported illegal immigrant who re-entered the United States, again, illustrating the presence 
President's Point. Uh, MS-13 seeks to instill fear in people through machete attacks, gang rape, and human trafficking. And they have an official motto uh, that means kill, rape, control. The president has made MS-13 a top priority since he launched his campaign in 2015. And it uh, goes on. Ms. Rodriguez told The New York Times that I just want uh, uh, what's uh, right to be done. Everybody should put their political agenda aside and think about what's going on in our country. She was invited to the White House to speak to the president before the address this evening. During the State of the Union, he's expected to speak about the dangers that uh, those who are in the country illegally citing MS-13 and related crimes as examples uh, pose a, a danger. And again, the State of the Union will take place tonight at 6 Pacific time. 15 minutes after five o'clock is our time. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Just a reminder, too, we're going to be giving away a second pair of tickets to the Johnny W. Comedy Night, a pair of tickets for that event at... um, East Hill Church, and that's going to be on, let me find my notes here, on March the 10th, 7 o'clock p.m. So we'll uh, we'll get to that in this hour as well. Well, the House Intelligence Committee's uh, Monday vote to release a classified memo on purported government surveillance abuses has touched off a war of words between Democrats and Republicans, both sides unloading their rhetorical guns at as uh, time ticks down for the memo's likely publication, the president has five days to decide whether he has any objections to the release, uh, but signs point to him allowing it. Uh, the document was pushed by committee chairman uh, Devin Nunez and uh, other GOP committee members. White House Pes- Press Secretary Sarah Sanders uh, said Tuesday there would be a full review before any releases, adding, we want to make sure that we do it the right way. Those who have seen the document suggest it reveals uh, what role the unverified anti Trump dossier played in the application for a surveillance warrant uh, on or at least uh, uh, one uh, Trump associate. The dossier was uh, compiled by former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, contained opposition research on the then candidate, now President Trump in the 2016 election. He was um, hired by the U.S. firm GPS Fusion, which commissioned the research, and you know the rest. Well, Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee have been pushing for the release of this memo for weeks, but they've been uh, met with furious opposition by the Democrats, who are now going to push for a memo of their own to be released. But that memo would have to go through the same process that the one we're discussing today uh, had to go through. Representative Trey Gowdy said the release of the memo was likely to be embarrassing for Democrats, uh, like ranking uh, Representative Adam Schiff who had fought tooth and nail to block it. I think it'll embarrassed, uh, be embarrassing to Adam Schiff once people realize the extent he went to to get them from learning uh, any of this. Gowdy said he helped write the memo, speaking to Fox and Friends. Well, Schiff called it a very sad day, saying, I think, in the history of this committee, um, he told reporters after the committee meeting Monday that the memo's release could compromise sources and methods. And uh, some even suggest that it was just there was no there there. Uh, this was the worst meeting I've ever had, said Representative Mike Quigley, a Democrat out of Illinois. Uh, they're going to have to install a shower in the SCIF, he added, referring to the secure facility where the committee meets. Well, Democrats criticized not only the release of the memo, but also the memo itself, with Quigley dismissing it as a book report by a high school kid at 1 a.m. on two Red Bulls who hasn't read the book. 
Democrats had promised to release their own memo. He didn't characterize that one on the data to balance out the Republican drafted memo. Schiff said Republicans had blocked the Democratic version, but told reporters they hope to release the transcript on the meeting so the public can judge the tenor of the discussion and the vote. Um, well, I hope they do release both memos in the interest of um, of fairness. Um, one, uh, uh, Molly Hemingway uh, points out that the uh, the memo that's the memo in question is a summary. That's a four page memo. It's just a summation of a year's worth of work, hundreds of thousands of pages of testimony, visits to foreign countries. Uh, and uh, conversations with different people. And it's a memo that reflects what they discovered, what they alleged to have discovered along the way. Um, And she also makes a link between the release of the memo and the release of Andrew McCabe, the number two at the FBI, stepping down, suggesting that there's a pretty big situation here. Uh, He's only the most recent person to be demoted, step down or be reassigned after congressional or other inquiries about some of what's happening at the FBI. Now, that's uh, concern raised on one end of the continuum, and we'll see what um, what's actually in the memo, presumably, and then what the Democrats say to refute that memo. Um, Meanwhile, uh, House Judiciary Committee member Ted Lieu, he says, as a member of the House Judiciary Committee, I read the partisan classified Nunez Intel memo. I can't talk about it. However, here's an analogy. Remember Geraldo Rivera and the infamous mystery of Al Capone's vaults? It's like that. But Geraldo Rivera has more integrity. Wow. So if there's no there there, I don't know why you wouldn't release the memo, although they're suggesting that uh, methods and uh, ways of gathering information and collecting it would be revealed through the memo. Uh, FBI operatives did look at the memo, we're told today. They didn't uh, question the veracity of the information, but do question whether or not it ought to be released at all. So the back and forth will continue. The president has five days. That will be Friday to determine whether or not the public will uh, get a gander at what's actually in it. Well, the Senate yesterday failed to pass the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, which would have banned abortions about after 20 weeks. After Democrats filibustered the bill in a 51-46 vote, the bill failed to make it out of debate and to the final four votes. So there was no uh, vote that makes the United States uh, on par with China and North Korea with regard to abortion. Two Republicans, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, continue their support for abortion by crossing the aisle to vote with the Democrats against the bill. Meanwhile, three Democrats, Joe Manchin of uh, West Virginia, Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, and Joe Donnelly of Indiana, broke ranks, ranks rather and voted with Republicans in favor of the legislation. The vote split along similar party lines in 2015, the last time the Senate considered similar legislation. Legislation. Among the Democrats opposing the legislation were several from states that voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential election. The bill was based on scientific evidence showing that fetuses, unborn children, I have the capacity to feel pain beginning at 20 weeks gestation. This vote is yet another indication of how radical uh, uh, pro-abortion supporters have become on the subject. The 46 senators who oppose the legislation uh, stand for late-term abortion procedures that involve lethally injecting and dismembering highly developed, nearly viable unborn children. In supporting this uh, gruesome reality, they stand against a majority of Americans. Recent polling from Marist finds that two-thirds of Americans support a 20-week abortion ban, including more than half of Democrats and more than half of self-described pro-choice Americans. And though the pain control bill didn't pass um, tonight, the vote forced pro-abortion Democrats and two Republicans to show Americans how out of touch they continue to be on the question of human life, even as science and technology prove them wrong. The House passed similar legislation 
last week that would guarantee citizens' rights for U.S. children over 20 weeks gestation, the age at which all unborn babies have been scientifically proven to hear voices and feel pain. Um, Again, we're talking about the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Um, I don't normally on the serious issue like that, uh, like this, uh, quote the Babylon Bee, but their headline read, Senate Democrats refuse to grant legal status to children dreaming of being born. Apparently their dreams were not worthy of consideration uh, in this failed vote. The Hawaii employee who issued the ballistic missile alert to residents a week or so ago, causing mass panic for nearly 40 minutes earlier this month, intentionally sent the message thinking the island was, in fact, being attacked. Well, that's what the FCC has now uh, made public in a stunning reversal after officials had insisted the alert was the result of a mistaken keystroke. Well, in a written statement, the employee, who was not identified, said he believed there was a real emergency on January 13th after hearing a recording that stated, this is not a drill. I might think it wasn't a drill, too. But the employee didn't hear the first half of the message that stated, exercise, 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 the FCC rather said in its preliminary report today. And though the recording also ended with exercise, the message um, uh Trying to clarify that this was not a uh, 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 real uh, attack, the officer apparently didn't hear that either. Um, While other warning officers understand that this is a drill, the warning officer at the alert uh, origination terminal claimed to believe in a written statement provided to the emergency management agency that this was a real emergency and not a drill. Well, the employee followed emergency protocol, transmitted the live incoming ballistic missile alert to the state of Hawaii, selecting yes when reaching a page asking, are you sure that you want to send this alert? Well, the FCC said the incident was caused by a miscommunication during a shift change between the overnight and day crews. Three other officers reportedly uh, heard the exercise portion of the message. The one in charge did not. The uh, FCC said the Hawaii official was conducting an atypical number of no-notice drills that increased the chances of a mistake happening. The organization blamed the state's flawed system, including how the alert software failed to differentiate between testing and live production environments for the error. The report added that the Hawaii agency wasn't well-equipped to send out the correction and the delay um, to send one made the mistake uh, even worse. And we learned last week that apparently the uh, governor couldn't remember his Twitter password to also convey that this was um, not a, a, a true attack, but was an exercise. So it, it took him a while to post. He forgot his username and password for that. So it's uh, hard to imagine that the future of the Republic, or at least the island of Hawaii, and who knows what other uh, localities might hang on whether or not someone heard exercise, 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 or can remember their Twitter password and username. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the world tells us the way to make all our dreams come true is to set our own course and to strive every day toward that course. But when it's all on us, we end up feeling exhausted, frustrated, and disappointed, especially if we, it doesn't turn out the way we'd hoped. Well, in our new book, Dreaming with God, A Bold Call to Step Out and Follow God's Lead, Sarah Beth Marr, who is a professional ballerina, weaves together her unique story as a professional ballerina, as well as a wife and mother to inspire women to keep dreaming and fully experience 
experience God's dreams are better than the plans that we have for ourselves. When when we accept God's invitation to dream with him, she says, uh, we're relieved of the pressure to hold our lives and our dreams together on our own. And what a relief that can be, living out the dreams that God created us for. Uh, Mar shows readers how God plants dreams in in their hearts for a purpose. And she points readers to the truth that God's ultimate desire is for everyone to experience a deeper relationship with him. Well, Sarah Beth Marr danced professionally for more than 15 years as a ballerina and now encourages women in the dance of life and faith through her writing, speaking at MOPS international groups and women's events, teaching God's word. She and her husband, Brian, have three sons. They live in Dallas, Texas. Today, she joins us to talk about her new book, Dreaming with God, a bold call to step out and follow God's lead. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah Beth. Oh, thank you so much. I could not be more excited to be here with you. So thank you so much for having me. Well, let's talk about your background as a ballerina. Tell us a little bit about that career and how the ballet world challenged you to dream with God. Sure. I began dancing professionally right out of high school, and um, that really kind of propelled me on a path of Uh, seeking the Lord in a deeper way. Um, The ballet world um, is is wonderful. It's also challenging. And so it really um, made me kind of come to a point in my life where I thought, you know, I know Jesus. I believe in him. I have since I was kind of a little girl, really. And I kind of started to wonder, um, you know, is he really leading my life, though? And it was in those years of dancing professionally that I just learned to really lean on him um, more and, and, and get to a place of actually letting him lead um, my life. Now, when you came to the realization that you hadn't really consulted him to determine if the course you had taken was what he had in mind for you, did you find that God's dream for you was divergent from the the path that you were already on? Or what kind of modifications did you find were were needed, if any? Right, right. Um, I I never questioned um, life as a ballerina. I definitely feel like that was part of the journey that God had for me. But it really made me... um, uh, more so just evaluate, am I really putting him first in my life? Am I really open to what his plans are for me versus maybe what I think I want to do? And so um, it just really um, gave me a chance to lean into him, to to seek him and to, to go, okay, God, you know, actually, what do you have in mind for me? And um, I continued to dance um, for 15 years professionally and um, also became a mom to three sons through those years and really um, kind of all these different dreams um, kind of would start to spark um, in my heart. And I felt like as I sought the Lord, he would um, give me new desires and um, different ones. Some of them involved dancing and then some of them involved becoming a mom. And then later, of course, um, it became about um, wanting to write and wanting to encourage other women um, to really discover the beauty of allowing God to lead their lives. Now, as we look at your bio, you are an author, a ballerina, a wife, and a mother. One might assume you're doing all of those things all at the same time. Describe the challenge of balancing them all and whether or not things come in seasons where uh, maybe you are, are one thing predominantly in one season, perhaps that shifts over time. Definitely. Um, There have definitely been seasons where I focused more on one role. Of course, when I was dancing, 
I had wonderful help from family um, with my kiddos, and I had so much support in that. And so, um, but it's always been a bit of a juggling dance for sure. Now um, it's a different season for me. I, in a sense, hung up my point shoes a couple of years ago, and I focused much more on um, writing and speaking and um, encouraging my readers. And um, it's sweet timing. God's timing is really so good because I think I couldn't have done this even five years ago. Um, And, you know, now my kiddos are in school. And so I have, you know, free hours to work on writing. And so I definitely think God, um, part of his purpose for us in discovering the dreams he has for us is it's all on his perfect sweet timetable. And Mm. I'm so thankful for that. Well, I appreciate your emphasis on timing because sometimes we know that God has given us a dream of, of, or a vision of the future. And yet the timing in our head doesn't necessarily uh, correspond to his timing. I have to ask you what every woman listening (laughs) is thinking. You were a ballerina while you were having your children. How on earth did that work out? Not just, you know, managing to take care of the kids, Mm -hmm. but physically, how did you manage that? (laughs) Yes. um, Well, it's funny. I I actually thought when I uh, was going to have my first son, I thought for sure I'm going to stop dancing because, um, you know, that just, the two didn't seem to go together, right? Um, But again, I had such sweet support around me and, and my husband and my family and the director of my ballet company, they just wanted to help me make it happen. So we did. We I mean, I had babies up at the ballet studio with me for sure. Um, and then with each, I, I have three sons. So with each son, it was a little bit different. With my second son, um, I brought him to the studio quite a bit as well. I also didn't dance full, full time when I had mm-hmm. three babies. <laughs> um, I definitely backed off. And then what's kind of a fun story um, with my third son, um, I actually... Uh, danced in the Nutcracker pregnant with him. And so it was a funny experience of uh, feeling quite nauseous, as those mamas can understand. I was in that first trimester not feeling well. But when I got on the stage, it was like I I forgot the morning sickness. And um, (laughs) it actually helped me cope (laughs) uh, with the morning sickness. So it was a challenge, but um, it was so fun. (laughs) Yeah, well, make a note. If you are having trouble with morning sickness, you need to get into ballet. (laughs) That'll get you through. <laughs> Your book really fo- really focuses on a dependence on God. Now, as an athlete, you train and you prepare so that when you are actually dancing before an audience, it's almost like second nature to you. Mm-hmm. Talk about what it means to be dependent on God as we're seeking his dreams for us and his purpose for our life. Well, I love that analogy you gave that, you know, we the more we kind of practice it, it becomes second nature. And I think that's what is the challenge with um, becoming dependent on God is is it does take practice and it's not our nature. Our nature is is to do life on our own and to kind of lean into the world's um, message of chase down your dreams, make them happen. You know, it's all on your shoulders, and it, and so in a way, it, it feels very countercultural to um, to follow what scripture says and scripture scripture echoes be still trust God wait um, and and it can feel um, just very kind of against what everybody else is doing and so um, it, it definitely takes practice I think it takes a daily surrender um, you know I 
I, you know, even after writing this book, I think every single day, it's not something I think we conquer for sure. I think it's something um, that I, like, I have to remind myself of every single day, you Mm -hmm. know, let go, let God lead. Yeah, yeah. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Sarah Beth Marr. She is a ballerina, among other things, a wife, a mom, and an author. Her book is titled Dreaming with God, A Bold Call to Step Out and Follow God's Lead. The book is published by Baker Book. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. Portions of today's program are brought to you by Zero Res. We're talking with Sarah Beth Marr. She danced professionally for more than 15 years as a ballerina, now encourages women in the dance of life and faith through the writing, through her writing, speaking at MOPS International Groups and women's events, teaching the word. She and her husband uh, live in the Dallas, Texas area. Now, you had a dream um, as a as a dancer, but you also had a dream to uh, be a writer. How did that dream come about? And how did God orchestrate things so that you understood that what you dreamed of doing coincided with what he dreamed for you? Right. Um, actually, it was when my dancing dream kind of felt in a way like it was um, in a way slipping from my life that I actually really started to 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 seek the Lord and to, um, and to seek his plans for my life, um, in, in a deeper way. And, um, it was a time of, um, really pressing into him because I did not know where he was leading, which of course, that's how we feel a lot of the time in life. Um, and I wanted to just, sometimes I wish he would kind of send me this, uh, timeline or email of a more direct plan. Of course, that's not how he works, but it was a sweet time of just pressing in and um, seeking him. And as I did that, I felt um, that he just started to kind of sprout these desires. Um, I think as we tune into him, he shapes our desires and, um, and, and guides us to the plans he has for us through the desires of our heart. But of course, there were times when I thought, is listening to the desires of my heart a good thing or a bad thing? But I learned as long as I'm seeking him and in scripture and spending time in prayer, he would faithfully lead me. And really, when I did that, I started seeing some little hints to this writing dream. Um, I, I've always been a journaler, and, and that's my way of connecting with God. Um, and it's not something I force myself to do. It's something I almost have to do. I feel compelled to do. And so those years of journaling in obscurity where, you know, I never thought I would ever share something I would write, um, but it was those years of journaling that I feel like um, in a way trained me to write um, and, and began to um, sprout that uh, that dream of writing. And and also, I I just want to mention that many, many Christian books by Christian women authors ministered to me. There were so many times where um, a, a, a Christian author felt like a mentor to me and just pointing me to the word and pointing me to Jesus. And I, I, I savor those books. I keep them. And, and, and it was really through those, I realized there's something about a book for some people, some people, you know, find God in a deeper way through a book. And so that's something that I wanted to be able to do um, after I kind of sought the Lord about it. And, and he led me in that. 
Now, um, you write about the American dream and the fact that it's at odds with the message of hopeful, confident dependence. How do you see the American Christian community struggling with the, the conflicting message of attaining the American dream and acknowledging and, and pursuing your dependence on God? I definitely think it's tricky um, because, yes, I think the American dream is is a beautiful dream, you know, and I think um, it's not wrong. I don't think there's anything um, bad about about wanting the American dream, but I do believe that God wants in on that. And I think, um, think, um, you know, as a community, I think as we surround ourselves with um, you know, scripture and prayer and, and fellowship with other believers and, and, um, and just kind of keep that, that in check, you know, am I, am I following the American dream with God and letting him lead the way, or am I just chasing it, um, all on my own? Mm. Now, what's, uh, what tip do you have for readers to retrain their dreams to align with God's? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, what I want for readers is I want them to be able to see that dreaming with God isn't just about getting to the dream itself and fulfilling a particular dream. It's really about the journey with Jesus. And so my tips would be that um, for women to really um, just start having conversations heart to hearts with God. You know, I think what happens is as little girls, we have all these big dreams, right? When you're a little girl, nothing is off limits. We, we dream big. And then I think when we become grown ups, I think practicality and responsibilities and real life take over and we kind of suppress um, our dreaming hearts. And so um, this book is, uh, is, a, is a great resource um, to kind of wake up our dreaming hearts again and, um, and to really just um, my tips would be to pray, to open that conversation with the Lord again in a way to, to give yourself permission to dream either for the first time or again. And then another tip I would say, you know, I think we've heard the truth um, some of us over and over again, you know, God has a plan for your life and God um, has good works laid out for you. But I think, again, sometimes our grown up hearts lose sight of that. And I think mm-hmm. we or maybe we don't even believe it anymore. And so we're just kind of going through life kind of in the motions and uh, through the motions. And so I think it's kind of getting back to, you know, allowing ourselves to believe that, allowing ourselves to believe that you know, God really, really does have a purpose and a plan for your life. He really, really did create you with unique um, personality traits and character qualities that he actually wants to use uh, to bring you into his plans for you in order to affect his kingdom on earth. And I think just getting back to that place of going you know what, like letting myself believe that again. The book is titled Dreaming with God, A Bold Call to Step Out and Follow God's Lead. Sarah Beth Marr is the author, published by Baker Book. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for having me on today. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to uh, do what we promised, and that is to give away a pair of tickets to the Johnny W. Comedy Night. If you're looking for just an evening to have fun, maybe go out to dinner beforehand or after and enjoy a night of clean comedy. Uh, we're um, sponsoring an event, and that is at East Hill Church on March the 10th, 7 o'clock p.m. We'd love to give away a pair of tickets to hear Johnny W. Comedy Night. Uh, we're going to give those away to caller number Clark. Caller number three. 
503-786-9390. Again, we're giving away a pair of tickets to Johnny W. Comedy Night at East Hill Church in Gresham. That's March the 10th, 7 o'clock p.m. Your tickets, by the way, are going to be emailed to you, so you'll need to give us an email address, whether it's yours or someone else's, but we'll need to get them to you in that way. But we'd love for you to enjoy a pair of tickets and a great night out with some good, clean comedy on March the 10th at East Hill Church. 503-786-9390. Up next, uh, we're going to talk with Sheriff David Clark Jr. He's the author of Cops Under Fire, Moving Beyond the Hashtag of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America. He is a man of faith, uh, has had uh, opportunity for a significant platform. He's also going to be one of the speakers at the upcoming 2018 Freedom Rally, sponsored by Oregon Liberty Alliance. That's coming up noon, February the 3rd. That's this Saturday at Holiday Inn Airport. We'll give you all the important details. We're also going to talk with Joseph in Frank who's going to be another presenter uh, at the event on Saturday. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, from TV studios of Fox News to the stage at the Republican National Convention, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark Jr. speaks passionately on controversial issues, and that's earned him both fans and critics all across the country. I happen to be in the fan category. Well, now in his latest book, Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond the Hashtags of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America, Sheriff Clark navigates the choppy waters of race, religion, politics and patriotism while he shares how America can once again become a great nation under God. Written in his characteristically no-nonsense style, Cop Under Fire examines the ways in which America has become increasingly polarized with growing racial tension, animosity toward law enforcement, government corruption, and disregard for the Constitution with no easy answer in sight. But Sheriff Clark knows where we must begin. We must stop blaming our others, rather. Look at our problems with open eyes, take ownership of our families, community, and country, and turn to God. Uh, D- David Clark was elected to serve as Milwaukee County Sheriff in 2002. He served in the position for four consecutive terms. He was honored with the 2013 Sheriff of the Year Award from the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. And in 2016, he was named Law Enforcement Leader of the Year by the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association Foundation. He is a graduate of the prestigious FBI National Academy of Quantico, Virginia, and received an MA in Security Studies from the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School, Center for Homeland Defense and Security. He's a regular and frequent guest on the Fox News Network. Sheriff Clark and his wife, Julie, live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'm delighted that Sheriff Clark is going to be here in the Portland area as one of the uh, presenters of the upcoming event to the 2018 Freedom Rally. Sheriff Clark, it is such an honor to have you with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, hello to your listeners. Uh, let me let me just uh, invite you to tell our listeners a little bit about your um, your upbringing. I, I saw so many similarities in your father and mine. Uh, it, it explains, I suppose, a lot of the kind of disciplined and contributing member of society that you are because of the the family that you grew up in. Tell us a little bit of your background. Yeah, that was very important, and it's something that uh, as I moved through forty years of law enforcement. Uh, if I could put my finger on one thing in terms of what has happened to the black community, it's the fact that the family has become fractured. Mm-hmm. There are some contributing factors. But in my own family, a uh, two-parent family, a loving mom and dad. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for most of our young lives. 
raising the kids, instilling values, uh, virtues. You know, virtue, as you know, is a redeeming quality. People aren't born with those. They have to be instilled with it. So she was around full time to see to that. While my dad went to work, my dad served uh, in the United States Army. He was an airborne ranger. He had several combat jumps under fire in Korea. Uh, he grew up and became a man in the military, and the military taught him about discipline, which he passed on to me, uh, strict disciplinary requirements in my household. Uh, when my dad said something, you did it. You didn't question it. There was no discussion. There was no debate. And, you know, that taught me a lot in terms of uh, the discipline that I think is needed as you move through life to do things like complete school. You know, you look at the school dropout rate, the school failure in the black community, and it's, it takes discipline to stay in school. It's hard. It's tedious. You know, sometimes it gets boring, but you still have to stick with it. So, you know, it's, it was that upbringing. And by the way, it was lower middle class. My mom and dad didn't have a lot of money, uh, but they, they did the best they could, sent us to um, uh, Catholic schools because they felt that, that installation of faith as a virtue would be important as well. And they also felt that that would be a, a better education. You are known to speak in ways that other leaders in the black community have failed, and that is has been a real frustration for me as a member of the black community to hear leaders that are routinely um, looked to for answers and comments on events that have taken place. You've been very outspoken about the Black Lives Matter movement, and as a member of law enforcement, you've been very clear about the direction that we ought to go. Let's talk a little bit about this this notion of cops under fire and the lack of respect that we're currently seeing with law enforcement uh, and incidents that have occurred that, whether or not they've been mischaracterized, have raised concerns within the black community. Sure, without a doubt. But let me go back to something you said uh, a minute ago when you talked about uh, the way I speak and, and the, the, the message that I bring. Uh, look, I think it's important because with all the problems that we have in the black community, and, and some of these are parallel with the problems we're having in America as well. I don't just look at the black community, mm-hmm. but, you know, my community is, is, is hurting uh, probably more so than, than many others. But um, we, we have we have mixed messages. We have bad messages. There's no plurality of voices. And that's what I I say, I don't tell people, hey, listen to me, I'm the only one that knows what's going on. I'm right. I don't say that I say there are plurality of voices, but mine within the black community by other race baiters tends to be uh, drowned out. I think that some of the problems that beset the black community are self-inflicted. When you look at fatherless homes, you look at these young men having uh, kids at a very early age with multiple women and then not being around to fulfill their fatherly duties. So you have young men growing up without fathers. It's been devastated. When you look at drug and alcohol abuse, devastating. When you look at uh, questionable lifestyle choices like joining gangs and quitting school, uh, those are self-inflicted pathologies. So I always remind people, and I would do this any race, any, no matter what demographic, when there's a problem, look in the mirror first. Look in the mirror and ask that person looking back at you, what could you be doing different to affect a better outcome? But what the left has taught uh, uh, many in the black community is to look outward, find somewhere to deflect. Don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's Whitey's fault. It's the rich man's fault. It's this person's fault. No, it's not. You know, there may be some contributing factors with things like discrimination. um, But you start by looking in the mirror first. And again, you say, what could I be doing? That guy looking back at you, what could you be doing different to affect a better outcome? And that's not popular 
among the race baiters because they always want to blame somebody else for somebody else's predicament. Well, it can be politically um, very useful to, to do that because it gives you political capital. It gives you a position of of uh, leadership, and, and oftentimes it's fomented for that very purpose. Now, what do you say in response to concerns raised about police brutality, particularly within the black community, which uh, gave us the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, let me use the model that I just said that I use and I encourage people to use uh, by looking in the mirror first. And I would say, why are there so many interactions between law enforcement and young black men? And the answer is simple, criminal behavior, nothing more, nothing less. And so what I ask is, why are our youth seem to be so predisposed to choosing criminal behavior and questionable lifestyle choices than they are to, let's say, uh, learning how to read, spending more time on, on, on your homework, staying in school? And because of those increased interactions, whenever you have a lot of human interaction, you have the potential for conflict. The thing is, the law enforcement officer is a figure of authority. And when you grow up not respecting authority like I did, you know, my first authority figure was it wasn't the cop. It was my dad. Then I passed that on to other authority figures in my world. My teachers were authority figures. The neighbor was an authority figure. Any adult was an authority figure. And so I, I'm, you know, able to look at, at the law enforcement office, and I tell this to young black men, by the way, it's an authority figure. You may not like him. You may not like the way he's talking to you. He may be talking to you rude, officious, or whatever, but there's a process that we can deal with that later on. It's not resisting arrest. It's not running from the police. It's not trying to disarm the police. It's not um, uh, fleeing the police. It's obey the lawful command, and we'll grieve this thing later. But, you know, when, when you grow up without that virtue of discipline, and you have no authority figure, uh, and you don't know respect for authority, what you're going to do is you're going to resist. And I'll tell you right now, in an interaction on the street with a cop, 99% of the time, you're going to lose that fight. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Sheriff David Clark. His latest book is Cop Under Fire. It's a great uh, book that challenges readers to think uh, about the issues that we uh, currently face in constructive ways. The subtitle, Moving Beyond the Hashtags of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America. Judge or Sheriff Clark is going to be in the Portland area for the 2018 Freedom Rally. That's coming up this Saturday at the Holiday Inn Airport. When we come back, I'll give you more details. You need to be there. You need to raise your voice to express your values in a place like this one, Portland, Oregon. And we'll give you those details in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking this afternoon with Sheriff David Clark. He's coming to the Portland area for the 2018 Freedom Rally sponsored by Oregon Liberty Alliance. It's an opportunity for those of us with conservative worldview to have our voices heard, our views and values respected. The 2018 Freedom Rally is a place where that voice can be amplified and show that uh, conservatism is alive and well in Oregon. And it is alive and well, right? here. Now, it's coming up this um, this Saturday at Holiday Inn Airport. To register, you can go online to OregonLibertyAlliance.com. Again, that's OregonLibertyAlliance.com or phone 503-257-0444. 503-257-0444. Now, in addition to Sheriff Clark, uh, Dana Loesch is going to be speaking, Joseph and Franco. In fact, we'll talk with him as well. Congressman Greg Walden, it's going to be a great event and you need to be there. So all the details can be found at the website, OregonLibertyAlliance.com. 
Now we're talking with uh, Sheriff David Clark. He's the author most recently of Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond the Hashtag of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America. Are you optimistic about the future of the country, given the challenges that we currently face and an unwillingness to engage in civil conversation about the the serious challenges that we uh, that we're facing? Look, I'm very optimistic. The United States of America is a very resilient country. This country has faced many defining moments, periods of time, periods of change. You look at the American Revolution. You look at the Civil War. You look at the World Wars. You look at the Great Depression. You look at the the turbulent 60s. You look at 9-11. We've always bounced back. The reason we've always bounced back is because we had people at any end realized that the best interest of America has to come before our own best interest. And now that that uh, Donald Trump is president of the United States. I'm even more optimistic. We can see in a short period of time what he's done just to lift people's spirits. Consumer confidence is up. I think people, and because this stuff doesn't turn on a dime, but I think over time, over the next uh, three years now, people will start to feel better about themselves and their place in America. And I'm talking about transcending all kind of uh, all different kinds of uh, uh, demographics. I think the subtitle of my book, Beyond the Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics, very appropriate because that's what it seems, you know, that we're focused on almost 24-7 in the news cycle. There is a way out of this. I talk about it in the book, which mm-hmm. is why I want to encourage people to get it, cop under fire. I don't want to give too much of it away, but uh, it'll allow people a deeper dive into the way that, that I think, the way that I've arrived at the conclusions that I have. I, I make it clear in the book, look, I don't know everything. I don't need to know everything. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the world, but I have a view from a very unique perspective of 40 years in law enforcement. What does that mean? 40 years on the street dealing with human beings who have problems in their lives, uh, who are facing issues that they need help in in solving. And you, the first thing you do is you call a cop, right? Whenever there's a problem, what do you do? Call 911, call a cop. So I've had an opportunity to, to, to show up and empathize with people uh, in their predicament and in their situation. That's why I say I think it's a unique view of the world. One of the chapters in your book is titled, God is not the enemy, but he's being attacked. Um, but also changing the culture is a matter of faith, not politics. Most of us are looking to uh, politics as uh, somehow providing or presenting the solution. But you suggest there's a, a deeper problem that needs a deeper solution. Sure. Politics doesn't solve problems. People solve problems. And most times those problems are solved more effectively on people's uh, own volition. In other words, in somebody's life, you have to be determined uh, that your life is going to be different. You're going to engage in some things that are going to assist you in leading uh, a fulfilled life. You know, when I talk about faith, I mentioned in the beginning of this conversation uh, that my mom and dad sent us to uh, Catholic schools to have that uh, element, that virtue of redeeming quality of faith instilled in us. I rely on that faith constantly. I pray every day. You know, I don't pray for stuff. I pray for things like uh, empathy. I, I pray for things like wisdom. I pray, pray for things like uh, understanding, patience, discipline. Those are the things I, I pray for because those things help me through, um, you know, this, this very political environment that I live in now. And so uh, I think God has been marginalized. God, we've become too much of a secular society. Mm-hmm. You know, this constitution that we, we, we love and dear uh, or hold dear um, was Christian based. It, based. it was based on Christian values. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and I think that this secular, this push towards secularism by the left to marginalize God, you can't talk about God in the public square. You know, if you're a political person, you mention God or religion. Next thing you know, you're under some ethics violation or somebody suing you. I've been sued, by the way, for uh, uh, First Amendment um, uh, freedom of religion 
And, but, you know, I wear my, my, my religion on my sleeve, not to the exclusion of any other faith. But I wear mine. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I answer to a higher power in the end. I don't care what happens down here on earth in terms of me being scorned because of my faith. But in the end, where it really counts, that's why I want our good God to look and say, you know, David, faithful servant, you fought the good fight. You weren't perfect, but uh, come on into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Well done. Well, we are so thrilled that you're coming to the Portland area, and I should mention that you're going to do a book signing at the event on Saturday as well, so people will have an opportunity to pick up Cop Under Fire, and I would highly recommend that you do that. It chronicles uh, the sheriff's uh, childhood, the challenges he and countless other officers face in law enforcement today, and some broader solutions to the issues that we uh, face as a culture. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with uh, with me today, and we look forward to hearing from you on Saturday. I look forward to being there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, uh, Sheriff David Clark is the former sheriff of Milwaukee County, Wisconsin. He has uh, enjoyed a long and illustrious career in law enforcement that spans nearly four decades. He's a frequent guest commentator for national news programs like CBS Evening News, CNN Newsroom, and Fox News. Earlier this year, he uh, released his best-selling book, uh, Cop Under Fire. It chronicles uh, his life and the challenges we face as a nation. Also presenting at the upcoming 2018 Freedom Rally this Saturday is Dana Loesch. She holds hosts her award-winning radio show, The Conservative Alternative, and is a well-known political commentator. She appears regularly on Fox News, ABC, CNN, HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, and many other programs. She is a national spokesperson for the National Rifle Association and speaks regularly on the subject of new media and grassroots. Joseph Infranco will be speaking at the uh, uh, rally that's coming up, uh, sponsored again by the Oregon Liberty Alliance. He serves as senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom and senior Vice President of Alliance uh, Coordination Team. He works with thousands of attorneys all across the country, and he's tried more than 100 cases successfully and participated on many religious liberty cases. He joined ADF in 2003 and is admitted to the bars of the U.S. Supreme Court, New York State, Second and Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, three federal district courts, and the U.S. Tax Court. And finally, Congressman Greg Walden. He'll be, um, he represents, rather, Oregon's second congressional district, which includes central, southern, and eastern Oregon, and he's uh, served in that capacity since 1999. He was elected for two terms as chairman of the National Republican uh, Congressional Committee, which, uh, with his leadership, led to historic Republican majorities in the House and the uh, uh, the Senate. In uh, 2016, he was selected as chairman of the full Congressional Committee on Energy and Commerce. All four will be presenting at the 2018 Freedom Rally um, at Holiday Inn here in Portland. Registration opens at 11, and you can call and uh, pre-register at 503-257-0444. You can also learn more about the rally at OregonLibertyAlliance.com. OregonLibertyAlliance.com. Now, the the Alliance consists of the Oregon Family Council, Oregon Right to Life, Oregon Anti-Crime Alliance, Parents Education Association, Oregon Women's League, Taxpayer Defense Project, Common Sense for Oregon, and Taxpayers Association of Oregon. Oregon needs to hear your voice, your views, and your values, and the 2018 Freedom Rally is the place where that voice can be amplified. So uh, it's an opportunity to demonstrate that conservatism is alive and well in Oregon. Again, that's coming up Saturday, February the third, to show your support for life, common sense government, family values, fiscal responsibility, and of course, the First Amendment. They're going to be top-notch speakers, uh, catered lunch, um, and a chance to network with hundreds of other conservatives from around the state. Uh, we'll make the day a day to remember.
the Oregon Freedom Rally. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know by now, the 2018 Freedom Rally is coming up this Saturday, sponsored by Oregon Liberty Alliance. That includes the Oregon Family Council, Oregon Right to Life, Oregon Anti-Crime Alliance, Parents Education Association, the Oregon Women's League, Taxpayer Defense Project, Common Sense for Oregon, and Taxpayers Association of Oregon, featuring four outstanding speakers. Sheriff uh, David Clark is going to be among them. He's the former sheriff of Milwaukee. County, Wisconsin. He's enjoyed a long and illustrious career in law enforcement. It spans about four decades. He's a frequent guest commentator on national news programs. Dana Loesch, who hosts an award-winning radio show, The Conservative Alternative. She's also a well-known political commentator. And Congressman Greg Walden has represented Oregon's second congressional district that includes central, southern, and eastern Oregon. Also uh, joining us for this year's event is Joseph Infranco. He serves as senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom and Senior Vice President of the Alliance Coordination Team. He works with thousands of attorneys across the country. He's tried more than 100 cases, successfully participated on many religious liberty cases. He joined ADF in 2003 and is uh, admitted to the bars of the U.S. Supreme Court, New York State, Second and Ninth Circuit Courts of Appeals, and uh, three federal district courts and the U.S. Tax Court. We are delighted that he's going to be with us uh, this Friday, rather this Saturday at the 2018 Freedom rally. Joseph and Frankel, thank you so much for joining us. Well, hi, Georgie. It's a pleasure. Well, we're looking forward to hearing from you. I know you have been on the cutting edge of religious liberty cases of late, and uh, trying to keep up with what's happening uh, can be something of a challenge, but Alliance Defending Freedom has done an excellent job of not only defending the, uh, the religious freedom of your clients, but keeping us updated on the challenges that we face. Where would you say we stand in terms of protection of uh, the First Amendment right to religious freedom? Well, you know, Georgine, we have two cases right now at the Supreme Court. One was just argued, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, and Mm -hmm. we have a case coming up on behalf of a pregnancy resource center. I would say that these two cases are really key cases. Uh, They're going to tell us a lot about religious liberty and rights of conscience going forward. And um, I'm going to try to talk about some of those, but also more generally why people should understand that rights of conscience, our rights as believers, are really the cornerstone of all the rights that we enjoy under our Constitution. Well, you're absolutely right, and it's uh, it's uh, there have been a staggering number of cases that have called into question whether or not we as a constitutional republic are going to uh, recognize and affirm those rights moving forward. Now, Alliance Defending Freedom, for those who aren't aware, um, has been serving in our community for quite some time. Describe what you all do. I know I contribute financially because I support um, what you do, my husband and I. Tell our listeners uh, a bit more about Alliance Defending Freedom. Well, sure. And and ADF was launched in 1994 by a group of evangelical leaders, including people like Dr. Bill Bright, Dr. Dobson, Dr. D. James Kennedy, Larry Burkett, many others. And uh, our purpose is really to keep the doors open for the spread of the gospel. We're the largest organization uh, doing what we do in the nation. We're also international. But I have the great personal privilege of working with a network of over 3,000 allied attorneys in private practice. We're able to provide them with resources and help them on cases 
Uh, we've got a pretty good sized network in Oregon. I have a lot mm-hmm. of friends over the years in the Portland area. So, uh, but we we try to uh, because we're doing these cutting edge cases. We've had seven wins at the Supreme Court in as many years. Uh, but this uh, sets the stage for the rest of what's happening in the country. And it's key for us to get in front of these religious liberty cases, to be prepared for them, to be proactive in addressing these issues. And we try to do that as much as possible. And a large amount of the success we have comes from this extensive network. They're kind of the eyes and ears of what's happening. We get to hear about what's happening in small towns or villages or states here and there. So less gets biased, less is done you know, kind of under the radar screen, because so many of our rights were lost that way. But the cases that we have now in a number of courts um, are very, very important. And I would say we're at a really precarious time in the history of our religious protections. I know a former United States Attorney General looked at the Masterpiece Cake Shop, and he said, and he's a constitutional scholar, he thinks it's the most important religious liberty case in the history of the nation. That's saying quite a bit. Mm, That absolutely is. And again, uh, Joseph Infranco is going to be one of the uh, speakers at the upcoming Freedom Rally. That's this Saturday, sponsored by Oregon Liberty Alliance. It's going to be held at Holiday Inn at Airport. Uh, Begins at noon, registration at 11. And you need to call an RSVP. There's a a lunch, rather, that's included. The telephone number is 503-257-0444-503-257. 0444. You can also visit online at OregonLibertyAlliance.com. You know, I shudder to think where we would be in terms of protecting religious liberty if Alliance Defending Freedom uh, didn't have that network of attorneys all across the country, uh, wasn't paying attention to what's happening and recognizing the implications of what may seem like small or insignificant cases or cases that only involve the individuals directly related to the case, but have much broader implications. We are so blessed that Alliance Defending Freedom is there and doing what few of us are really aware of to protect our religious liberty. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words. You know, it really all glory to God. And uh, this is just a vision of some people, uh, people like Dr. Bill Bright, Dr. You know, Dr. Dobson and all. Uh, they saw a need and they strategized on the way to fill it. And, uh, you know, as well, it's an encouragement. I talk to uh, just attorneys everywhere. I hear from hundreds of attorneys, you know, on, on a, a monthly basis. And so often they say, you know, we, we don't feel alone. We don't feel disconnected. We felt kind of out of the loop and, and that we were the only one doing this. And now we understand, you know, there are all these attorneys in the network and they're like-minded and so it's a kind of an encouragement as well, but it's also the eyes and ears of the community. The uh, case in Colorado started because one of our allied attorneys heard about a baker who was threatened. Essentially, he could have been uh, hit with such punishing penalties that it would it would bankrupt his store and bankrupt him personally. And she had just come from her training, and she was challenged. You know, reach out to people when you hear these things. Picked up the phone and said, "Would you like free help? I have ADF behind me." And she started representing that case. We spoke in the first few days, and one thing led to another. And now, you know, that case was argued at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Same with a case like uh, we we just appealed, and the court accepted a case out of California for a pregnancy resource center challenging a California law that says 
these pregnancy centers must not only tell women who come to them, women in crisis, gee, we don't do abortions. They must also advertise it prominently on their websites and give those women a phone number for the state and tell them, if you cannot afford an abortion, here's a place where you can get one free or reduced cost from the state. The state is demanding that they convey that message. And uh, we've had those cases around the country. We had them back east in a few places and won them. We lost it in the California Appeals Court. And thank the Lord, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case, which is a very good sign. But these things are happening constantly throughout the country. And I'll have the, uh, you know, the opportunity when I'm with you all in, in Oregon that's what we say. I'm from New York originally, and we say y'all in New York. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really think so. But to give the perspective of what we see because this network is so broad and to talk about the trends, the coming threats to religious liberty that most people are really unaware of. So I'm hoping to be able to deliver that focus and why it's so important that we be aware of these things and get in front of them. Well, we are grateful that you're making the trek from New York to Oregon and look forward to hearing from you again on February the 3rd at the upcoming uh, Freedom Rally. This year it's at the Holiday Inn Airport. There's a better parking. It's a new location, so make note of that. You can register at OregonLibertyAlliance.com or you can phone 503-257-0444 to make your your reservation. rather 503-257-0444. Four, four. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time Thank to talk you. with us, and we look forward to hearing from you on Saturday. And I should just clarify the record. I, I don't live in New York any longer. I used to. With ADF, I got to move to the Valley of the Sun here in Phoenix. So well, there you go. <laughs> it's a shorter trip up to, up to Oregon. So. Well, we appreciate well, you making it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Again, uh, Joseph and Franco will be speaking along with Dana Loesch, Sheriff David Clark, and Congressman Greg Walton, uh, Ralden, rather, representing Oregon's 2nd Congressional District. Now, it's coming up this Friday. It begins at noon. Registration opens at 11. Lunch is included, $45 per person. And you can register and find more information at OregonLibertyAlliance.com or call to RSVP 503-257-0444. As I mentioned, lunch is included. They want to make sure they have enough for you if you're planning to come. 503-257-0444. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We are apparently in uh, in for quite a show in the heavens in the next uh, 24 hours. Call it a celestial triple threat. You can call it a lunar triumvirate. You can call it a cosmic trifecta. Okay, that's what Oregon Live came up with. I liked all three. Whatever you call it, though, the skies over Oregon are going to see a rare convergence of three heavenly phenomenon. Well, tonight, um, as the state uh, witnesses a supermoon, a blue moon, and a total lunar eclipse all in the same night. Now, you may not know what those three things are, but uh, the definition of the terms are a supermoon, of course, is no bigger than the moon is at any other given time. But the moniker refers to when a new moon or a full moon uh, coincides with a lunar orbit that comes in close proximity to the Earth, giving the appearance that it is enlarged. The effect makes the celestial body appear larger and brighter than usual. Uh, by up to 14%. So it's a very large moon. A blue moon is when two full moons appear in the calendar month, which was the case in January. And a lunar eclipse is, for those unfamiliar, when the moon passes into the Earth's shadow. All three of those things are going to happen very early 
uh, tomorrow morning. Now, not everyone is going to get to see this rare occurrence, and uh, those on the West Coast are going to have the best view of the full eclipse, so we're in a great Uh, We have a great vantage point from start to finish. It's going to be visible in the early morning hours, well, weather permitting. The West Coast, Alaska, and Hawaii are going to have the spectacular view of totality from start to finish. That's according to Gordon Johnson. He's the program executive and lunar blogger for NASA. Unfortunately, he writes, eclipse viewing will be more challenging in the eastern time zone. The eclipse begins at 5.51 a.m. eastern time as the moon is about to set in the western sky and the sky is getting lighter in the east. Well, the eclipse for us over Oregon at 3.48 a.m. local time, if you want to get up and uh, take advantage, with totality setting at 4.51 a.m. The best viewing, NASA said, will be between 5 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m., with totality ending at 6.05. So for those of you who are early risers, you might still get a glimpse of this phenomenon. In the Pacific Northwest, a lot will be up to the clouds and whether they feel like uh, parting. The forecast currently calls for at least some clouds, so it could be a bit of a... uh, 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 challenge, but nonetheless, that's what's going to be happening up there. I was reminded of Psalm 19, which you may be familiar with. It's a, a psalm for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, but especially those first few verses that declare that the heavens do just that, declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. They make no audible sound, but they speak and um, there are no words, uh, yet their voice is heard all over the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. Such a beautiful psalm to remind us of what's uh, what's going to be happening in the heavenlies uh, overnight and early into the morning. Well, taking a look at um, what's coming up the remainder of this week, let's see. We're going to talk with uh, Matt Tallman. Uh, he is... Uh, overseeing short-term Mission Connection, and we're looking forward to talking with him about that. As you know, Mission Connection, the big event took place just a couple of weeks ago, but there are smaller connection events that take place throughout the year that are more focused in particular areas. And this uh, connection, as seems obvious, is a focus on short-term mission. Now, it's possible to get a group of people together to travel across the globe and uh, to serve in a particular area, come back home and have very little impact either while you were there 
there or once you return. But Mission Connection, uh, short-term Mission Connection, is designed to help make the most out of the investment of time and energy and talent and treasure and all of that. Uh, so that it's not only uh, something that is memorable, but it's actually constructive and useful. You're ministering to the people you're serving in ways that are meaningful to them and not just something to write home about. And when you are are, uh, preparing to go and returning uh, and have returned, uh, there's a great deal that can be gleaned from that experience as well. So Matt Tallman will join us to talk about short-term mission connection uh, how to be involved in all the details of that. And then uh, on Thursday, we're going to talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We've had him on before to talk about the Romans Project, but this is a great model uh, in the in the same vein of mission. This is a great model to training uh, those who are in positions of leadership in, uh, in Africa. We're going to be talking primarily about Rwanda, but Project, uh, or the, rather the Romans Project, is designed to equip pastors who themselves say, we need biblical training. We have God's Word, but we haven't been trained, and uh, they are hungry to be taught so that they can teach uh, more accurately. They can rightly divide the Word of God uh, to their congregations. And many of these men come to faith in Christ. They have no background in the church, and uh, so they uh, they need the kind of training that the Romans Project provides. And it's just, again, a great model uh, for equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And in this case, pastors who will then be called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So looking forward to... Um, talking with Pastor Scott about that. And then on Friday, assuming that the Republic still stands, we're going to lighten up and take a look at some of the lighter side of the news, which uh, I enjoy doing after a week of of hard news. And with the State of the Union coming up uh, uh, this evening and um, all of the acrimony that we're hearing from not only both sides of the political aisle, but everything in between, it can be somewhat refreshing to step away for a few moments and just reflect on some of the things that are going on in the world that have nothing to do with Washington, D.C., and uh, the uh, decisions that are being made or decisions that have that should have been made, but uh, they failed to make. Uh, as I mentioned, the State of the Union address is coming up tonight at 6 p.m. This, of course, is President Trump's first State of the Union address. There's a lot of anticipation and prognostication about what's going to be said and not said and who's going to be there and who's uh, not going to be there and what that might mean. Uh, there will be opportunities for others to uh, uh, to speak after the president does. In fact, uh, um, Joe Kennedy Jr. is going to speak on behalf of the Democrats, which is traditional. Once the State of the Union address is given, the opposite party, the um, opposition party, if you will, uh, then has an opportunity to respond to what the president says. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the speech for the response is written long before uh, the president, whether that's Donald Trump or Barack Obama, or whoever happens to be the president, long before that speech is delivered. So it's not technically a response to the speech that was just given. It's more a, um, a counterpoint to what uh, the president's saying. If you're a Republican, then the Democrat gives the speech and you want to counter what you know the priorities and initiatives are of the opposition party. And the alternate is true when the Democrats are in the White House and Republicans are responding. Uh, the Constitution calls for the president to give a State of the Union address. It says nothing about uh, making speeches after in response. And of course, Hollywood is uh, is producing its own version of a uh, response to the president's speech, as is Maxine Waters on BET. She's going to be giving her own State of the Union address, um, all of which is at least constitutionally uh, folly, but nonetheless will take place and people will ooh and on, listen and uh, we'll move forward. So all of that's taking place following the president's speech, which will begin Pacific time at six o'clock p.m. Now, all of that having been said, I hope we're taking seriously what Ephesians says you and I ought to do 
uh, as followers of Christ. We need to pray for those who are in authority. Now, sometimes we assume that that means we have to agree with those who are in authority. Sometimes we are violently opposed to those who are in authority. So we pray that God would give them wisdom. And when they act foolishly, that God would prevent them from succeeding. I mean, there are all kinds of ways of praying, but and we're not there's no prescription about how to go about it. But we are told to pray for those who are in authority. And as ambassadors of Christ, of course, our goal is always that those who are in positions of leadership would um, exercise wisdom and uh, that wisdom would allow us to function freely and in peace. So I hope you are continuing to pray for those in the White House, in the State House, in the um, judiciary and everything in between. Okay, we're out of time, so I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering, James Blind for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.